pretty much it. Just goes through a bunch of hair products. <laughs> it's great. Hair products have to be like our, our theme. Oh, it Somehow. can be our theme for, for today. Um, hair is really important. And I think that people don't understand the importance of hair. Hair. Yeah. What is the, what is, what's the deal with hair? Why do we have hair? Wait, do you want to do our, do you want to do our little intro of this is monkeys and robot suits and that stuff? Oh yeah. Well, hold on. I, I've got to like, I got to get warmed up. Ready? All right. <laughs> like got to get my, my voice going. It's kind of, it's, it's a late night and, um, I've been sitting in silence. So my voice isn't warmed up. I've been, I've been sitting here waiting, staring at my phone, not doing anything to get prepared to do a podcast. So, okay, now I'm ready. All right. Hello, you are listening to Monkeys in Robot Suits. And Robots in Monkey Suits. With Jeff Byron and Noah and Smith. And Noah Smith. <laughs> Episode <laughs> we'll, we'll get three. It well, some, yeah, someday we'll figure out what our intro is supposed to be. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I'm working on theme song ideas right now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have something. But this is the show where we learn how to make a podcast and we talk about not economics and, and politics and we, 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 we are old. To be fair, we could talk about economics and politics. There's <laughs> nothing stopping us. <laughs> to be oh, no. fair. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Uh, well, you've seen Letterkenny, right? Say that again? Have you seen the TV show Letterkenny? I actually have. The only reason I've, I've heard of that show is because they licensed a couple of Meishi songs. Oh, right. wow. Yeah. The only thing I know about it is it's like, it's about, it's about like, redneck canadians right basically exactly yeah it's like all they do is like hang out and drink molson's or something exactly it's canadian hick seinfeld well, so, why did you bring it up why did you reference it oh because every time that someone says to be fair everyone intones to be fair to oh, okay oh. that's one of those phrases that i'm always like why why are, why are you saying it here it's like to be honest to be honest or or i can't lie it's like why are you saying that? Why, why Actually, do you have... <laughs> because um sounds unprofessional. Um, like uh, those are the those are the main words of a podcast host. It um, is like ah. Uh, Question: Why do you almost never say um? You always speak very smoothly. I do. Yes. I do too, but you even I, much more so than me. My, I, the way I was going to answer that was going to be, um, but I had to stop <laughs> myself and say something else, but I couldn't think of anything else to say. So I had to say nothing. No, I actually say, um, and, uh, maybe it's those Toastmasters meetings I'm going to. <laughs> no, I, I, I haven't been going to any Toastmasters. I don't think I speak very clearly at all. I think I use ums and likes constantly. Really? I think the secret to sounding like I know what I'm talking about is talking a lot and talking quickly. That's about it. But I don't really think I sound like I know what I'm talking about. So it's amazing how much people are willing to believe you know what you're talking about as long as you just talk. It's it's so so frightening actually. Because a, if you're if you're a person that does that and then you listen to somebody else who just talks but they don't know what they're talking about. You're like, Oh my God. If people actually think this person knows what they're talking about, we're all screwed. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh. I think um, that, yeah, that that's oh, another thing we talk about on the show a lot is like the internet and how, and how good and bad and stupid and, and dumb it is. And like, uh, I find that the internet is, is a, is a, it's a cesspool of people just talking a lot and people b- thinking that they know what they're talking about. I mean, it's the fake news thing, but, but people just will follow people because they think they know what they're talking about, even though they don't. And, that's and just, we can name some people who do this, but uh, then we, we're already making enemies before anyone even listens to our podcast. Yeah, we could go there. I mean, no one listens to this podcast, so so what's the harm? Actually, maybe we, I know, right? Somebody might unearth this in the future, so <laughs> they're gonna find. Oh no, they you know Noah and Jeff dissed some people. Well, it it yeah yeah. Okay, we won't go there. There's so many people worthy of dissing, and we just you know as long as we don't say who they are, people will listen to this and think, oh, it's not me. <laughs> they mean the people I hate, not me. Mm. So and to, be, to, fa- to yes. be fair, we can talk about economics, but it has to be, if, if you want, um, if you want smart, smart stuff, you're probably not going to be listening to this show. Well, that's not true. You could be, li- you could be listening for smart stuff. I just mean, uh, we're, we're probably not going to be talking about the dire things of the world today. That was kind of what we're surrounded by that we're trying to get away from. Right. At least for me, that's that. That's kind of one of my purposes. At the beginning of last week's show, we had to read Noah's tweets using strong, sad voice because the sky is on fire right now in in our neighborhood, and there's actually <laughs> really nothing to be happy about. There's nothing to be happy about, and if you're happy right now, then you are an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck happy people. So this is a show where we just kind of get to be assholes. <laughs> All right. Revenge. <laughs> Eat that world. We're we're the happy assholes of today. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think happy assholes would actually be a good alternative name for a podcast. Well, maybe that's the name of this episode. Happy assholes. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a great name. So let's uh let's start insulting things. What do we want to insult? You go first. You, you know me, no, I'm actually not good at insulting things or people. Oh, so it's going to be me, huh? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, I insult people like a Canadian. <laughs> you're like, well, <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're, you're really like a not very nice guy all the time. Sometimes I you would are. say, <laughs> in my opinion, there are times when sometimes, you're not. Sometimes you are not polite. <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but I have to say it. There are times when you are not completely polite. <laughs> <laughs> I love, there's something very special about Canada. I don't know how it managed to become the way it did. Yeah. Have you, you've been to Canada, right? Oh, yeah, a lot. Hey, do you have a favorite coast? Oh, Vancouver, man. Vancouver is the best. Oh, Vancouver, Vancouver, like, reminds it. Vancouver is like what the San Francisco Bay Area is supposed to be. Like it's a, it's like nice people who like mountain biking and stuff. Like that's what Bay Area should be, and it's instead it's what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's exactly right, and like the cities are actually built in a reasonable way with like a combination of density and comfort, decent public transportation that, uh, and yet that still feels like 
quiet and serene, even though you're in this extremely dense place and there's lots of fun stuff to do. Yeah, Vancouver's a blast. I think Vancouver was the first place that I ever, I want to say, bought, bought marijuana legally, but no, it was still legal up there. There was a time I went to go visit a friend and... Um, like there was, there was this, this guy in the back of the club that looked like Santa Claus that you would go and buy your, your weed from. And I just <laughs> thought that was cool. You went and bought your weed from Santa Claus. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're getting close to the North Pole and it's Santa Claus is in the back of the club. I was like 20, 20 years old probably in Canada nice. for the first time. Yeah, and I loved it. The first time, yeah. The first time I went to Canada was, was when I was about that. I was like 19. And we just went skiing up in BC with some Stanford people. Uh, it was just great. Um, we got super stoned and watched the Doom Generation. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. It is one of the legitimately worst movies ever made. I can't think of I almost no movie that I've ever seen that's worse than that. Maybe none. So you got stoned and watched a really bad movie. That sounds like a good time. It was a good time. And then we went hiking and we went to some like frozen lake up in like the insanely remote mountains of interior BC. And it was really cold. Uh, I've never been that far into the wilderness in Canada. I've been, um, there was one time we went up there for the Calgary stampede, which is this huge fuck all festival in Calgary that takes over the entire city. It's like South by Southwest, but I think it's even bigger. And, um, and that, uh, that, that was, that, that was cool being in Calgary and seeing action there. But, um, oh, do you know, you know how they have all these kind of, you know, government programs to support artists and stuff in Canada. Do you know anything about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Because I was always jealous of Canadians and Canadian radio because a certain percentage of all the music that gets played was all Canadian bands. So if you were in like an indie band or if you were in like a small regional, you know, project, chances are you were going to get airplay and people might even know you. I always thought we, that's, I mean, we, I mean, that wouldn't work the in the U S because it's like, <laughs> I know, right. What, are you going to play mostly American bands? Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just giving people money, which is something we should probably do anyway, but that would be more about politics. Sorry. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, so here's to be question. fair, we only sometimes talk about economics. Yes, we touch on it tangentially. Um, well, the last time we went to a show together, it was to some Canadian band I'd never heard of that was popular a while ago. Yeah. Well, they're still popular today. Sloan. Sloan, that's right. And so yeah. here's the question. Who are your favorite Canadian bands or artists of all time? Uh, I, I was... Uh, Ugh. hold on let me think about that there's ah, just so many i love driving uh, i'm a i'll start then because i have, i'm a man of simple tastes and great ignorance all um, right so i really really like uh broken social scene mm -hmm. um godspeed you black emperor um i think those are probably my two favorite canadian bands i can think of so there's, there's more yeah yeah so sloan is a great power pop rock band. That was the band that we went to go see. Right. They're super, they're super popular in, in Canada. Cause they're, I mean, they've just been around since the nineties. Uh, I like a band called the new pornographers. I like them. I yeah. didn't realize they're Canadian. Yeah. They're Canadian. Nice. Um, no, there's, 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 there's a bunch of Canadian bands. 
I, I think that uh, uh, Destroyer, well, Destroyer, that's technically part of New Pornographers, too. Was... Oh, I don't know that. I don't know the story. The, um, yeah, it's, uh, there, there's, there's Nico Case and, um, and, um, AC Newman and Destroyer. The, the New Pornographers is like a super group of Canadians. It's like, uh, they're just, they're just showing off at that point how Canadian they are. <laughs> um, there really is a, a Canadian aesthetic. I feel like Canada for a long time didn't really have its own self-definition much, except that it's like, you know, people would just go back and forth between the United States and America. I mean, the United States and Canada. And it was just like another sort of post-Britishy place in North America that you'd move to. And I feel like in recent decades, it started to diverge because they took immigrants from different places and there were laws that encouraged local cultural development and institutions started to differ until... Um, and I, I think the immigration thing is part of it because, um, you know, Canadians have so much of a different ethnic background right now than the Americans that live in the states that border Canada. Do they? Oh, absolutely. Like hmm. Canadians, there's so many Canadians who are from, uh, you know, China and Hong Kong, India, Iran, Philippines. Um, it's, uh, it's extremely like Asian and Middle Eastern. So it's not just rednecks, white rednecks. No, the white, they're, they're, the rednecks are still out there somewhere. But like, it's, I mean, Canada has just taken a lot of immigration and it's very urbanized. Um, but the mix of immigrants they've taken is different. And it's, it's weird. Like, I, I feel like we're moving toward, you know, in, in the old days, you know, people had a certain physical type that corresponded loosely to where they came from. So like, if, if you saw a certain kind of looking person, you'd know that was a person who lived in Japan. And mm. this applied to Western countries too, um, you know, in part because of like racism and segregation and stuff. But like you, you could sort of know what like a person from France looked like as opposed to like, you know, a person from England or, and, and Americans had a certain type too, uh, mm. just white people. American white people had a certain look to them. You could mm. tell that's an American white person. And probably American black people did too. Um, I mean, certainly, but, but then, um, everything was very localized, you know, it was this blood and soil nationalism concept. Uh, but now I feel like you can't, of course, you know, because of immigration and diversity, you can't look at a person and tell exactly where they're from with any degree of certainty, except for a few places that are still very homogeneous, like, I don't know, North Korea, but like, you can't really tell. And so, and, and another reason you can't tell is because even the homogeneous places, a lot of people fr have moved from there to other places. So you can still mm -hmm. tell a little bit based on style, like a, you know, a Korean person is going to dress and eat differently than a Korean American. Right. Uh, so there's still some of that. But I think more what we're moving to now is just each place has its own unique ethnic mix from its history of immigration um, and so the, the places feel different. It's the place that feels different now, not the people. Yeah. Like or the can, language, of course. Yeah. Or the language. Well, of course, the language. Yeah. But I mean, like you can go to Toronto and you can sort of tell you're in Toronto just from the sort of mix of people around you and what they look like and what they dress like and, you know, things like that. Um, I think if you dropped me off in the middle of Toronto and I had and never been there before, 
I think that um, that's a good question. Would I would I know where I was if you dropped me off? Besides seeing obvious like uh, well, Toronto, Toronto, they're they're not speaking French Canadian like they do in Montreal. Um, I've only been to Toronto a couple of times, but Toronto is a strange sort of like uh, it's such a big city. It's a it's a it's a it's um it's a hot spot for filmmaking. There's a lot of cre- uh, creative industries there, um, a lot of live music, and then that's what, kind of what I think of when I think of Toronto. When I think of Montreal, I think of a much more multicultural place. Maybe that's because the times that I've been there, uh, no one was speaking English because it's people speak French, and going all all the way up to uh, Quebec City. Which all all of those small towns up there are so European. I mean, just like I mean the the architecture, the way they look, the small streets, and all that. Like they haven't changed much since colonization, and that's something that that Americans don't realize how much European influence is in those cities up there. I mean, if you haven't if you haven't if, you, if you're if you're American, next time you get to go to Canada, you should because it's beautiful. And there's a lot of culture up there that you might not even realize is there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a little thing. Go to Canada. That's what this episode is about. Go to Canada as soon Just as you ev- can. Everyone move to Canada. America's done. <laughs> yeah. Go up there and get your health care. I know. It's good good, okay. To we're going to talk about politics and economics in the end. It's inevitable. Uh, yeah. We there's no, no way around it. The, the game of this show is to not talk about politics and economics. Or it's to f- discover the monkey in the robot suit. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, it's to figure out how you know we like to talk on the air. Actually, that's yeah. the real. That's the, that's the real. I feel that we're we're pretty good. Like we've established a good give and take, which is well, different. You know, because on this on this podcast we actually talk over each other when we're actually like talking about business stuff. We definitely have a harder time letting each other finish each other's thoughts. I guess you're right. Yeah. Because, well, we're always, yeah, I don't know why that is. Maybe because, um, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we, we should care talk less. less. Should, should we start talking about the business? That should be kind of fun because <laughs> Noah and I are partners in business and that's something that we've been wanting to talk about on this show, but we've been warming up because there's so much we need to, to learn. Right. And if you're talking, one of the zero people listening to this podcast, realize that, we are making this podcast on a recorder that we, you know, helped to design and build. But we didn't do the engineering, but we uh, we designed like the features and and helped the development, mm-hmm. and are eventually going to turn into a broader sort of audio startup. Uh, that is, you know, the impetus for us making this podcast. But we're recording it with our own technology, and this is being recorded on two iPhones. So uh, if you think the quality is good, realize that this just came from a couple people talking mm-hmm. to a cell phone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but anyway, so a lot of the things that we need to learn, we need to learn how to podcast. We need to learn how to, how to host, how to, how to let somebody finish speaking. I think maybe when we're in meetings and we're doing the business stuff, it's like, we're both so excited or we both, it's like, sometimes I don't want you to forget an idea. And that's why I got to jump in and say something, something like that. Right. It's because we care less, you know? I don't need to get out that sentence about Toronto, but I need to get out that <laughs> sentence about, you know, users to market to or something. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's fun listening to you talk, Noah. So, 
thoughts. I'm, I'm happy to just sit here and do it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing pleasant. when people say that because I got bored of it about 25 years ago. Oh, I would be, I would be so bored listening to myself talk. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. That's not true. I like listening to myself talk. I like I, hearing the sound of my own voice. I feel like that you have, you know, you don't, you don't have like the classic, you know, sort of resonant radio voice, but you have this, this extremely friendly voice. Like you, you just sound like, you know, like, you know, someone who you want to be friends with. Oh, well, good. That's what I'm going for. That's what I want everyone to think. I think it works. (laughs) So I have a question for you. Why did you not often do the lead vocals in your band? Well, which band? I was actually I the so I I actually played in a band where I was the lead vocalist, but we didn't get very far and maybe the reason that we didn't is cuz I was the lead vocalist. But if you're talking about the Meishi, the Meishi ha- we had a dedicated vocalist, like somebody who sang and didn't do anything else. So if I sang any songs, which I sang one, maybe two, um it was it was more of a one-off thing it was just kind of a novelty it's like yeah let the guitarist jeff sing but i was not we had a singer and that that worked well for us live and that 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 band went through so many incarnations um it went through it it you know we started out as a four piece we became a five piece then we got in with our singer left and then we got a new singer and then one by one each member of the band left and was replaced by a new member. So there were so many things going on in that band. For me to say, I'm going to sing more songs or I'm going to sing every song just wouldn't have made sense in the context of what we were doing. A lot of, a lot of bands kind of identify themselves. They brand themselves with that lead singer, you know, Roger Daltrey from the who, or, uh, um, David Lee Roth from Van Halen. I, I just named two bands where the guitarists are actually the rock stars. I but, know. I was like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking what am I doing? about? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, the, the thing is, is like the, you've got the lead singer. The lead singer does the vocals. He writes the lyrics. Like he's up in the front. He's making sure everyone who's having, having a good time. Um, you've got a thing going on like that in, in music. And the reason that happens is because it works really well. Everybody who's playing an instrument has to focus on making making the music. If if you're a singer and you can take breaks and you can or you can look people in the eyes when you're singing, there's something more that you can do to connect with the audience. And that's kind of nice to have a singer who's that's his job. Um, at least that's that's one argument for having a lead singer. But when we were in the recording studio, anything goes. So that's why we all sing on different songs. Right. But yeah. Yeah. I have tons and tons of stories about music and touring and Canada. Man, I, we can go back to Canada even. If, I know. If you, want, if you want to talk about... Canada is the theme. Were, were Canada tours really good? Well, they're always so weird. Um, so <laughs> so it, it was, it's expensive to go to Canada with your band. Because the the government wanted to know if you were going up there for business. They didn't want you going up there and selling records or getting paid for shows. So we'd often have to smuggle ourselves across the border if we wanted to do it in an affordable way. Which meant that we couldn't, 
we couldn't drive in a van across the border, across the Vancouver border. What we'd have to do is we'd have to park our van in, in, um, like, uh, what is it? Uh, 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 what's the town on the border? It's called like Bur- 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 Birmingham or, or, uh, I forget the name of the, the town that's right on the border. Someone will know it. Anyway, we had to park in that border town. And then, then people from Canada who were like the people putting on the show would have to drive a van down and come and get us and then drive us back, back across the border and we'd have to use their equipment. So we'd literally have to smuggle ourselves in as guests. We couldn't bring our equipment with us. Or if we had to, then we had to have a Canadian go down there, grab our equipment, and then bring it back across the border. And this would happen, have, have to happen every single time. And sometimes it was very difficult to get into Canada. The, the first time I went to Canada um, not playing music, I was actually, well, it's a different story, but I was denied access to Canada at the border. I was turned around. Really? There was, there was an, an, an asshole in, in Canada if you believe that, there was an asshole at the border who wouldn't let me in. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a funny little story, but basically he found something in my car that he didn't think was, um, he didn't think it was kosher. So he was like, you're not allowed in. You have to wait. You have to come back the following day. So mm-hmm. I went back to that same border town and I watched a movie cause it was 9 PM and I waited until midnight and I came back across the border and they let me through. Um, and on the documents that they gave me, they said that they, they denied me access because they, that I had marijuana on me, which was not true. <laughs> they actually lied. But oh now, gosh. every time I go to Canada, if, if they ask, has anybody ever been denied as- access, I have to raise my hand and say, uh, yeah, me, when I was 20 years old, I, you know, I got denied with <laughs> Because marijuana. they thought you were carrying marijuana that you weren't. <laughs> yeah. So that just makes the whole touring in Canada thing way more complicated because there's always a chance that I'll get left behind and screw it up for the entire band. Plus, we're being smuggled by other Canadians across the border. So there's always these little tiny things. And, of course, it's really exciting when you're up there because American bands often don't go there because of these reasons. Um, So the shows are really fun. Um, wow. That's, so I, I went to Canada for, uh, Dave Washell's wedding. Um, it's possible that Dave Washell will come up in every podcast episode. Um, but then I forgot my, uh, passport. I didn't have my passport with me. Dave Washell, by the way, was there when I got denied at the, at the border. (laughs) One of the reasons that I got denied is because he came in and then got really pissed off at the border people and they were like, fuck this. <laughs> fuck they, this guy. They threw, they threw us all out. <laughs> when yeah. he gets mad, he just gets like in such a hush, you know? Yeah. Well, he was like, hey, you can't treat my friend like this. You're strip searching him. And yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> then they ended up strip searching him also. So it didn't, didn't work out well for Dave. Wait, you and Dave both got strip searched by the Canadian Border Patrol? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, uh, you know, maybe maybe next week I'll I'll tell the entire story because I was actually driving my friend's car, and the car was not in his name, so it looked like I had stolen a car, packed it full of drugs, which there were no drugs in. It just looked like I had torn apart. Like it was an old car where like the the lining on the seats was coming apart, so it looks like I had stolen a car, shoved it full of drugs, drive it across the border. But that's as you do. Yes, I mean like. That was like the early two thousands, right? Like that's that's what you did. Yeah, I, I guess so. You borrow a friend's car, and that's how you got to Canada. Um, 
Or, or do you mean you stuff your car full of drugs because uh, that's that's how you moved your drugs when you were a teenager? Exactly. When you were that's a 20-year-old. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Either one of those. Anyway, I did not have any drugs on me. That was the thing. I was just, dirty. I was driving a car that belonged to somebody else that was in somebody else's name. It just looked a little sketchy. And then I had a Canadian friend like shouting at the border border security. <laughs> but it just... Dave yeah. Rochelle is a he's a legendary character. Um I'm trying to think like what uh oh yeah, so I went up to his wedding and then I um I forgot my passport. I just left it in New York. So so I had been to this, uh, this conference in Seattle and then my idea was to go to the conference in Seattle and then drive north across the border and back in a rented car. And um and that was the that was the plan. It was a good plan except that I left my passport in New York. I didn't think about it cuz it's just Canada. Mm. You didn't used to need a passport for that shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Although actually that was, I think the second time that I had accidentally done that. Um, and then, so I, I forgot my passport and then they, they let me in to Canada and I didn't have my passport there. And then when I came back, the U S border patrol asked me, they're like, well, you know, like, did you have to use your, like, did you use your passport when traveling from New York to Seattle? I was like, what the hell? Like, why would you need, What? And then, like, this is the Soviet Union. And so it turned out he was just, like, trying to catch me in a trick to see if I were, like, a foreign terrorist, if I didn't understand that passports were not needed. Like, I would just slip up and, like, say yeah to whatever he said. Oh, that was the American that did that, though. That was the American who did that when I was... And I'm trying to think, like, if I had said, yeah, of course I use my passport to get around America or some shit like that. (laughs) Like, first of all, where the fuck do you think I'm from, guy? But, like, where do they need that? Like, Russia? I don't even know. Mm. But, like... You know, just I'm just some like dorky looking white guy. Like, where do you think I'm a terrorist from? The, but like, I don't the border know. patrol up there. The, the the American border patrol are even worse than the than the than the Canadian. Canadian. Yes, <laughs> they are. The, that time when I got denied, I had to turn around. I had to turn my car around and then go back through the American side. Mm-hmm. And then then I walked inside and they said, "Why, you know, why didn't they let you in?" I'm like, "They they thought I had marijuana in my car." And, the the security guy or the the border patrol he's like looking at me and he's like smiling he's like come on you had you had weed on you right you know it's it's new year's eve you can smoke some weed you're up here on vacation with your friends i like you know trying to like be buddy with me to get you to admit that you had weed yeah and i of course they didn't have any so it was just funny i just laughed at him but that's they always try they always try to be either good cop or bad cop to either make you sweat, make you feel really guilty. And those customs guys always make me feel really guilty, even though I'm never smuggling anything. And like shit. I know. I never smuggled drugs. <laughs> what like could if I possibly... wanted to smuggle drugs to Canada, I could absolutely do it. I just don't because of respect. It's a matter of respect. Canadians are very polite and it's a very functional civilization, so I don't break their rules. You know, uh, once uh, I, I almost got the... I almost got denied access to russia and i got detained in russia at the airport oh no i don't know if we want to hear the story because it's a little long but it's kind of crazy does it does it end up with you um does it end up with you deciding your name is the machine and joining the russian mob it doesn't end that way but it does end with playboy models ham sandwiches and uh, getting drunk in a child in, in a in a children's park. <laughs> it's it's pretty As weird. You do. 
Yeah, as you do in in Moscow, I guess. Um, yeah, no, we, we were just we there was a typo on one of our passports. We were flying from Germany to Moscow, and this was not with the Meishi. This was with another band <clears throat> that uh, we we were we were basically DJs. It was an electronic band, so we didn't carry around guitar cases. We had these huge keyboard cases, and of course. Uh, this is Moscow. This is yeah, Russia in 2005. And when we got there, we had a typo on one of our passports. Which, well, on one of our visas, we had a visa to perform there, and uh, and because we had a typo, it didn't look good. We had these these huge cases full of computer equipment, and they ended up locking us into a room and basically leaving us there for for hours. They left us in this room until finally a young kid, like a 20-year-old kid, pops his head in. And he's like, hey, you're the Americans. Come with me fast. You have to come with me. And then we follow this guy, basically chasing him through the airport, through security. Like He's just like, don't worry. Just come. Come with me. Uh, I'll get your visas. And finally, we go into this room, um, which is adjacent to an office building. And the kid goes in to talk to this guy in, the, in this office. This office has got like fancy leather furniture. It's got like a oil painting up behind the desk that is like a painting of the guy who sits at the desk. And he looks like Soda Popinski. He's like bald head, just total Russian dude. And, uh, and they like, they talk together and the kid comes back over to us and he says, I have negotiated a price for your visas. You will pay us 20. You'll pay us 20. $20. the bad Russian accent. You will play, pay us $20 each. $20, You'll pay $20 each. $20 each for your, for your passports. Uh, and I will get you into Moscow. And we were like, okay, fine. Like, here, it's 20, $20. It's not much of a bribe. But we didn't have dollars on us. We only had euros. And they didn't like that. They were like, no, no, not euros. Only US dollars. <laughs> and then finally, we said, this is all we have. We only have euros. And then the kid looks at Soda Popinski, and Soda Popinski looks at the kid, and the kid turns to us and he says, okay, okay, 20, 20 euros, but the receipt will say th 20 US dollars. And we're like, the receipt for the bribe to get into your country? And like, apparently there's this whole underground market in, well, I guess it's not underground, it's just a market for US dollars in, in, in Moscow. But... Um, Finally, we got out, and then we went to the show, and the show, this was a indie rock festival that was sponsored by Playboy. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. There were, like, kids there to have a good time, and then tall blondes in bikinis walking around giving away cigarettes. As you do. Yeah. I feel like my, my response to all these stories is, like, as you do, because it's so much like trope tourism. Trope tourism is amazing. I think that the future of tourism is not just to go places, but to go places and have this archetypical experience that you've always wanted, right? Well, but And yeah. Russia is like one of the best places to do that. Because exactly. if you've you seen any spy movie that takes place in Russia, where they go to like the goth club or like the the... The, that goth club exists on every corner in Moscow. Like they're there, they have them. You can go to that trope. Um, I want, yeah, I want that trope. And and so I think that there should be like guided trope tours. And these trope tours should involve like shit, like you know, in Texas you could have like a real shootout, 
or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like no one really, a few people do have shootouts in Texas, but they're really stupid and they die. Like, hmm. but you should be able to have a real shootout in Texas. So you should be able to like, what's a, what's a trope in California? I don't know. Getting like scolded by hippies or something. California trope would be, Oh man. I Choking on, on fires while like sweltering in the heat wave. California is just too too big of a of a state. You're you're talking about like uh, we need to make a stereotypical vacation experience exactly. for people. Exactly, trope tourism. I Unfortunately, call it. you go to fucking Disneyland, and that's a trope. <laughs> oh no, that is a trope. Yeah. Like, we're just so capitalistic and consumerist. <laughs> like yeah. our trope is just the shit we already sell. That's it. Yeah, that's our culture. You, you, when you go to Los Angeles, you go and you sit in traffic. That's what you do when you're there. You go, you yeah, spend so your vacation should, in the car. We could do, we could open like a Los Angeles tour group that just takes people and has them sit in LA traffic. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That's, that's like what you do. And then like you see a movie star walk down the street, you sit in traffic for five hours and you're done. Go, you know, back is. to, back to like, you know, Thailand or wherever you came from as a tourist. Like you've yeah. sat, you've experienced the true LA. That's when, pretty much whenever, so whenever like being from LA, I'd have friends that came and visit all the time and they'd want to see LA and then I'd always be like, all right, well, what do you want to see? I mean, it's kind of gross and dirty and there's, we're just going to sit in traffic and they're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, whatever. Now, and wait a some, second. Now, wait a second. When I went to LA with my ex-girlfriend, uh-huh. you took us to see a show by Steve Aoki. Steve Aoki. <laughs> Aoki, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I did that, but You cool. took me to see a show by Steve Aoki. Uh-huh. We went to a, like a true late night diner. We hung out in like a house in like East Hollywood full of hipsters. And we uh-huh. went to like a, a hipster bar, which was pretty much all just like movie post-production people hanging <laughs> around playing foosball. And that's what we, like you, oh, yeah. you that helped was- me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I gave you I gave you the L.A. trope experience. You did. Yeah. <laughs> if, if that we didn't go to the smell that time, but if we had, that would have been perfect. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's that. Maybe I was a pretty good host back then in my time. And and we hung out at the L.A. Film School. Oh yeah, so you got the film, music, hipster, the asshole DJ. <laughs> oh, no, Steve Aoki's not an asshole. He's 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 a pretty good guy. Oh yeah, he's, no you. It's just funny. You get you probably got to see him before he got super like famous as a his uh you, you know about that guy. His his father is the founder of Benihana's, yeah, the restaurants. Yeah. yeah, his sister's like a famous like model of some sort, or yeah, she's a famous model, and now he's uh he plays records and throws cakes at people. As you do. That's, that's like his thing. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so no, that was that was the real LA experience and I'm always glad that we uh we did that. Well you so you have you have really unique travel stories, I feel like. I mean, there's the time all the time you spent in Japan, which right. I still feel like we need to go and experience Japan together, which we will do. We Again. need to experience more of it, yes. But like I remember you would like email me from Shanghai sending me pictures, you'd be like, This place is insane or I don't know if it was Singapore or wherever you were, but you always had, it seemed like you were going places for reasons I didn't, that I never got to travel for. Cause I always traveled for music. I didn't travel for any other reason, mm-hmm. but, um, 
Yeah. Well, you, you must have some crazy travel stories, do you not? I do. You want to hear some? Yes. You want to hear telling one? stories. I can tell well, you the old uh, guys telling stories. That's what this show's about. We're old guys, but this is from last November. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> back when I was young and foolish. That was last back no- before the world was ending. <laughs> before COVID, before, <laughs> you know, all this shit. Um, yeah, no. So we, uh, so my friend Dennis and I went to Hong Kong and we wanted to see the protests. Um, for, well, you we'll, wanted you, like, is that another trope? Go to Hong Kong to see the protest. <laughs> that's like that's pretty dark though, because there's people whose lives are like getting ended and like it's really, really a tasteless joke. Actually. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's but it's it's it fits, I guess. It was it really turned out more like a young adult novel than a than a true trope, you know. So so what happened was um, we went there. Uh, Dennis, you know, was was sort of seeing a girl over there, so whatever. Um, and then I was just there. Like, I had never seen Hong Kong, and I knew that China was inevitably going to crush it, which it's now doing with the new security law, and it's going to do it more, and sort of the old Hong Kong is dying. Um, it, was, it had already been dying for a while in some ways, uh, ever since the Chinese takeover. But then it was, it's really going to die now. Do but we need was, a safe word before we start talking about economics and politics? Oh, Shit. God. The safe word is um, yogurt. <laughs> yogurt. If you ever hear us say yogurt during this show, it's because one of us is about to break into economics or politics. Oh no, yogurt! Run. <laughs> There's yogurt everywhere. Anyway, um, go ahead. You're in right. So, so, so I just wanted to see the city. I'd never been there, so we hung out for a few days, and then we went to see the protests. And we we went to a very peaceful protest, and people were waving American flags, which was pretty cool. Uh, you don't see people using the American flag as a symbol of freedom a lot these days, but these these people were, and that was cool. You do not. And, uh, and they were very, they were like, you know, there was like a doctor who got up and talked about like caring for the protesters on the front line. And it was very much like the sort of long-term protest that you'd see with Black Lives Matter or other stuff, except it was even longer term and it was highly organized. It was as organized as anything that we've seen in like Portland recently in America. Well, that's um, not very organized at all. Well, at least that doesn't look like it. But oh, I can imagine that Hong Kong is, is very organized. Yeah. So the the difference is that America is this highly diverse country where you have like a lot of protesters who are just, you know, protesting. And then you have like some random anarchist kids who drive in from the boonies and start fires. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that, that happens at like every large protest in America. Now you did have those people in Hong Kong doing that. So in Hong Kong, there are these people called the frontliners who are very much with the cause, but they're also like politically they're anarchists they throw Molotov cocktails, they break shit, they break the windows, they smash the windows of any store that's known to align itself with the cops while sparing any store that's known to align itself with the protesters. That's so, what's neat. So they're like, they're, they're like, they got, they have a program basically. They have a program yeah. and they never loot. That's their rule. They never loot. And, and they do this, but they're not, see the, 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 the what I read about Hong Kong and the way I imagine it is that there's like, there's order among the ranks of protesters and like they have a system, but that makes me think that, but it's not must, true. It's not true. Be, okay. It seems like there's some sort of governance going on. No, the there's not. In okay. fact, there's not, it's completely spontaneous. It's just, you know, on chat boards and, and message boards and whatever, they sort of talk and define the ideals of these roles. Like what does a frontliner do? I right. See. And then on, and then and then people just take it upon themselves to do it. And they say, I declare that I am a frontliner. I'm going to go buy all black clothing and a like a 
you know, black bandana mm. to tie around my face. And then I'm going to like learn how to neutralize tear gas and throw Molotovs. Right. Like that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And they, um, and so then, and they just take it upon themselves because there's no real leaders. There's a few like young kids who've really been outspoken, like Agnes Chow, uh, who's really a heroic person and has just got arrested. But, um, but, you know, she's like, I don't know, 20, 21 or something like that. Just young kids. Uh, they really think their future depends on this. And I, you know, and, um, and so then we went to see the protest and photograph it. We, our idea was not to join the protest, but to just observe the protest. But it turns out that that's not really a thing. It's easily possible to do. Yeah. At least like unless you have a press going, jacket. Going to Standing Rock to just see it. That's not really something that you do. Yeah. Right. So, so we were effectively part of this protest, even though we didn't know any of the slogans. We didn't know like the Hong Kong anthem. We didn't get some good chance. Yeah. And we didn't, we didn't really consider it our place to like protest for someone else's cause. Um, but we ended up being part of it anyway, just by being there. Mm-hmm. And so, and so we went to this, this big protest. It was in this, uh, this park. I think it's called Victoria Park. It's at the end of this big road called Nathan Road that runs through the north part of Hong Kong. And um, it was this park. It's, it's sort of like the ferry building, you know, in the, at the end of Market Street in San Francisco. And so we stood there and some fights broke out and tear gas was thrown. And like idiots, we ran toward the tear gas and we got tear gas right in the face. Ooh. And a giant thing of tear gas. And that really sucked. And then um, so we retreated beat a hasty retreat and the police kettled us and we went yeah uh, that for people who don't know that means the police close in from all sides and force you right. in a specific direction and that's actually much scarier than other police tactics because like this primal fear of dying in a human stampede is scarier yeah. than any other thing that the police do um yeah, that's got to be terrifying it was it was i mean i'm not one to really get terrified of things but that was the only moment that like i felt a little bit of fear was being Jeez. kettled i hate being kettled so, so there, um, was still, there was still like a lot of chaos and stuff there. Oh, there was massive chaos. And so, um, so the police kettled us and then, but they let us go. And then, so we escaped, but then we came back to Nathan road and there were a ton of people in this giant, this giant streets, just like market street in San Francisco. So then we came back to this giant road and were, um, you know, people were singing and, and watching themselves on TV, get beaten up by the cops just a few minutes earlier. Um, and so then, uh, which is now being reported on TV. And so then we just like, we walked down the street and at one point some water trucks came and these water trucks are not to be fucked with. These, these water trucks shoot jets of water at like hundreds of miles an hour that can break your bones that are filled with like uh, pepper spray, like capsaicin. Oh no, really? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And they, they also have, sometimes they have blue dye in them so that if you get sprayed, uh, you're so covered like, in blue dye. They're like, they're like poison jizz, like cannons. <laughs> Poison jizz cannons. <laughs> Pretty much, it's like bone bone breaking death sludge. It's like <laughs> so naturally being a Texan as I am, I was like, I want to see, I want to see me a water truck. I want to see what that's oh, like. And so, of course, me being an idiot, ran right toward the water truck, and everyone else, including the protesters and like you know, Dennis and, and this other guy that we knew that came along, um, they were just like cowering back, running like hundreds of feet away. Just this one idiot was just like charging, trotting up right next to the water truck. So I did that. And, um, I made sure that I had like a place that I could dug behind if it started spraying. But other than that, I didn't do anything like, hmm. and they didn't spray fortunately. Um, and so that happened. And so then anyway, we just had like a whole day and night of chaos. We like bought, 
At one point, we hid inside a restaurant, which put down shutters to block the tear gas. And at one point, mm-hmm. we like we bought. I, I really wanted melon buns, so we bought these melon buns <laughs> through like essentially this like riot window um, <laughs> from this this bakery that was open during the protests. And we melon like melon buns. Yeah, melon buns. It's like yeah. um. Oh no, yeah. I'm sorry. They're called. That's their Japanese name. They're called pineapple buns in Hong Kong. I just love this idea of like uh, we're going to go support the protests. And let's get the melon buns. <laughs> and let's get the buns because what I mean, like that's what you do. Yeah. And um, and Dennis procured his gas mask, which of course he had because he had foresight, which I don't. Mm-hmm. And he put on the gas mask, and then I did not have a gas mask, and we got tear gassed again. And we saw a mother with an infant get tear gassed, and that was mean. Uh-huh. And we saw a mainland Chinese guy get completely just gang beaten by like some Hong Kong protesters in the middle of the street. I have a video of that. Um, they just jumped him and beat the shit out of him until an ambulance came. Um, we we've saw, all seen the videos of people getting like lit on fire and stuff. So. I mean, I didn't see any person get lit on fire, but I saw some like guys throwing Molotov. Um, we saw guys throwing bricks at a tour bus company that someone said was owned by a mainland Chinese company. Like there was a tour bus coming by and people just like, just like pelted it with bricks. And that must be scary if you're like inside that bus to have like the walls of the bus being like hit with like thrown bricks. Like bricks yeah. are heavy, solid bricks. things. And they get propelled quickly through the air. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like, and so it was scary. We saw like all kinds of telephone poles knocked over. Like everything was being knocked over and thrown into the street to make impromptu barricades that all they did was, you know, stop the police running quickly. So it was just massive chaos, people tearing bricks up off the street. Um, and then finally, we went to observe this, uh, the station exit near Mongkok, uh, which is a neighborhood. Um, along that road that had been firebombed. We were like, okay, we want to see a firebombed station. So we went there, we took pictures of the station, which had been firebombed. And then the police closed off the entire area. Like the, like several blocks of the street, they just completely closed off and trapped us in there. And then phalanxes of police charged into the like penned off area and started just like throwing kids down, grabbing their stuff, ripping their face masks off and just generally abusing them and like throwing them into vans. And we attempted to get out of that uh, sort of like impromptu street prison, but we failed. And we were like, well, shit, we got to hide. So we ducked into the, like, the open foyer of some building that didn't have like you know, doors on the outside. We ducked into the foyer with these r- two random girls. And then this old guy who's like the security guy let us, uh, he, he let us up, on, he let us into the elevator and we went to the roof. Um, and so we were on the roof. It was like the 23rd floor, I think, of this apartment building that this security guy led us onto with these random girls, one of whom was a teacher and the other whom was a physical therapist, which really drove home just how much like ordinary people felt mm-hmm. that they had to be part of these protests. You know, they weren't students. They weren't like career protesters or activists or something. They were just like a teacher and a physical therapist, like just yeah. decided they had to go. And, yeah, of course. And um so we were on there for like, we stayed up there for like half an hour or so. And then we escaped. Their, their friend called them and found a way out back out of the area the police had cordoned off. And so we, um, I have pictures of all this, by the way. And then we, um, we had to sneak down the stairwell and we, we snuck down like the most decrepit, crumbling, weird stairwell that I'd ever seen that looked like it hadn't been maintained since 1955. And like, 
And then there were these weird hobbit doors just into like opening into random spaces. And it was just the weirdest thing. And like through one of the little hobbit doors, we saw the old security guy at a bank of glowing monitors. And he just like gave us this thumbs up sign. And it was the most like young adult novel thing. It's like the peasants are helping the rebels, you know? And, And so these girls were like scouting for us and like giving like little, you know, army signs of like, let's go forward. And like, we were being really quiet on the stair going down 23 floors and we got to the bottom and we like ducked out into this alley and there were police that went into the alley with their backs turned to us. And this other girl ran up and like let us out. And we just like ran behind the backs of the police through this alley to like a non cordoned off area where we could then from there escape, which we then did. Was your adrenaline just going the entire time? Was it like fight or flight? I mean, like, I was enjoying myself. See, see, you were having a good time. You were because you were experiencing it. I mean, it's, it's you didn't. It's not like you you went like you you went because you wanted to you wanted to see it with your own eyes, right? That's exactly. kind of why you why you went. That's why I went, um, and I did. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Dennis was really freaked out. He thought like we were going to wake up in like a Hong Kong prison or something like that. And to be honest, there was a small chance of that, but probably mm-hmm. not a big chance. They probably wouldn't have taken us to jail actually. Yeah. But who knows? Still. I mean, you don't really you don't really hear or see much. We didn't hear or see much of it. I mean, we we saw videos on Twitter and stuff like that, but we don't get an account quite like that very often. Yeah, um, and uh, and I I don't know. So a lot of the 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 videos and photos I saw made it look like they were peaceful protests and they were organized, but I guess not. I mean, it's just it was, like any protest. Like most are peaceful, and then a few are violent. So when I was when I was uh, fifteen years old, I got a job working for a company called Voter Revolt. Um, I was a uh, yeah, I was uh, I was radicalized when I was young. Now, I, I wasn't quite radicalized then, mm-hmm. but so yogurt yogurt warning: politics may happen now. Uh, oh, oh, well, actually, this is a funny story. Then I won't I won't go into politics, but um, but uh, well, I needed a job. I needed a job really bad, like a summer job. My brother had a, had a, got this job that some like somebody had walked up to him and said, "Hey, do you want a job?" And it was a job as a petitioner. Like you stand in front of a supermarket and you ask people to sign a petition. And, uh, and I got, even though I was too young, I was 15. You have to be old enough to vote. You have to be 18 and you have to be registered to vote in order to do this job. They were so desperate, this company. And this company is like a company that rich people will hire so that they send out an army of petitioners or canvassers or protesters for some cause. Um, they do do protesting, like professional protesting. Um, and uh, and I was a petitioner. I, I I was gathering signatures for term limits on our congressman. Mm. And I was 15 years old. I had, I had I didn't know anything about politics at all back then. And I was I was trying to convince people to um, to sign a petition to put term limits on our congressman. And I got really good at it. They huh. paid me they paid me 25 cents a signature. Isn't that crazy? 25 cents a signature. And um, and and I, I I got so good at it, and in fact I got so good at it that I, I not only did I get good at it, but I got good at kind of 
bending the rules a bit. <laughs> so, I mean, that was they were already hiring me illegally. But every 100 signatures, you got like a $10, $20 bonus or something. So what I ended up doing is I ended up hiring a bunch of my friends or getting a bunch of my friends to go pose as me and get signatures. And I would pay them 25 cents a signature. And then we all split the bonuses. But um, this was just so I could make pocket change when I was a teenager. But crazy to think that there are kids out there that are getting paid to protest. Oh my God, am I Antifa? Oh no, <laughs> this is a <laughs> this this is a yogurt warning. I guess I guess we are. I yeah. am uh, I am proving that that there are paid protesters in in the U.S. And wait, they're paid protesters. Yeah, this company Voter Revolt they they would they would protest if like some astroturf. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, and term limits for congressmen are stupid. That's terrible. It's <laughs> a terrible know. idea. Well, well now, I like it, now I know it. Now I know it's so is. bad. I don't know why um, people yeah. like that. No, a lot no. of people like used to like that. Um, no, I mean back then I was like term limits. Term limits make sense. And now I'm older. I'm like, yeah, no, that that doesn't. That's a bad idea. Let's turn turn over our Congress every every four years or whatever. It's bad. Um, um, but yeah. No, so th- there's actually organized protests here, but I was always, it was w- when I realized the way it worked that some rich guy was like, I need this on the ballot in order for my business to be able to, you know, stay, you know, uh, oppressing people or whatever, then uh, then I'm going to hire this company, Voter Revolt. They're probably still not, I, I should find out if they're still around. But, um I don't know what made me think of that. Maybe thinking of thinking of organized protesters in Hong Kong, but yeah, I mean, travel yeah. stories are more fun than than protesting stories. I mean, yeah, but travel and protesting stories together—that's the key. I don't know. Like, I I could, I, I just don't. You don't protest? No, I do protest. <laughs> I what, we, we went to do. the same yeah. protest. Um, <laughs> I was there. You I did. was like. We couldn't find each other, though. We, we the failed. protest was so big, and we were protesting so, so hard that we didn't see each other. I, we were I, we were both standing around shouting slogans and things. I mean, I assume. Yeah. Uh, in in you we know, probably passed people. each other like like within feet. But we, we probably didn't see did. Each other. We attempted to protest. Usually, usually Dennis and I will go protest together. He's my my protest buddy. I've um, never I've never traveled to protest, but my wife went to. You know protest. Dennis. Yeah, I met Dennis. Yeah. My my wife went to Standing Rock. Um, she's to hardcore. protest there. Yeah, she's she's super hardcore. I um the only other big protests that I was really in were the anti-Iraq war protests. We had we had a we had some good protests uh in college. I don't know if you ever took place t- took part in any of those. I went to like oh, a couple of things. Really good one. That my fa- one of my favorite protests was uh our the graduation speaker. Do you remember? No, I didn't. I didn't protest a graduation speaker. Who cared? Uh, re- really? Because uh, Condoleezza Rice, nobody liked. She was she was our uh, graduation speaker, and I remember oh, the pro- right. the protest was not. It was all it was is you would you uh, you would stand up while she was giving her speech, and you'd hold up like a I think it was a green card or something, and that was it. But to see like a sea of green cards while she's while she's giving her speech was was pretty crazy. I mean, having Condoleezza Rice as your graduation speaker, we were being disrespectful by protesting, but 
she was also like the she used to be dean or something there. Provost. She was provost when we were freshmen, provost. and I provost. I have hugged Condoleezza Rice. I I think we all hugged Condoleezza Rice. She I was actually a pretty a awesome provost. Game with Condoleezza Rice. Hmm. Yeah, she was good. I think the the first day that I was there, she did like some sort of song and dance with the dean or with the provost. She was vice provost at the time. She had but, some quite bad foreign policy ideas. Yeah. But I will say that she had one really good foreign policy idea, which was to um, ally the U.S. with India. And people don't know that. Um, the United States was opposed to India during the uh, Cold War. India joined the non-aligned movement, and, um, but in practice was much more closely aligned with uh, the Soviets than with us. And we supported Pakistan in their wars uh, against India, um, even when Pakistan committed a genocide in Bangladesh. And so we were dicks, and we were dicks to India. And then um, we attempted to completely ostracize India for essentially testing nuclear bombs, uh, which is, of course, something that we claimed the exclusive right to do and then attempted to ostracize India for doing. And, you know, we... We did not give India nearly as, fa- as favored like trade terms as we gave China. Um, I guess I should give a yogurt warning here for politics, but I was about to yogurt this. Uh, I know this we got to yogurt show, this, but, but, <laughs> but then, but then India, like we were, we were dicks to India, and that sort of stopped by because of Condoleezza Rice, and that was good. Oh, okay, well, Condi, I'm sorry I protested you in 2002. I mean, no, she was still worth protesting. She was bad, bad in many ways. <laughs> I was just protesting her because having having the provost come back and give her graduation speeches is like inviting your grandma to prom. And it's like, come on, can we get someone cool? I wanted Kurt Vonnegut. I wanted Kurt Vonnegut. I know. Was that and the alternative? Was Kurt Vonnegut? No, no. I think um, I don't know who the well, didn't I don't the year after us got Steve Jobs, right? So, yeah, so it was somebody. It was somebody really badass. Uh, Steve yeah, Jobs Steve was Jobs. right after us. I think that's one of the. Uh, yeah, there were some really great. I mean, it was Stanford. There were, we had really great graduation speakers, but that year it was like, oh man, you mean the woman? We've we've already hugged her. I mean, let's get somebody else. I know, our uh, our neocon, uh, uh, our provost. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to us just <laughs> talk our garbage, bullshit, awesome lives and stories and anything we'll be else. Better next time, we'll be. We promise to be more interesting next time. I don't think we were uninteresting. We just, well, maybe, maybe we were. I, I, I had. Fun I was listening. interested. I yeah. was interested. Well, there, there you go. And I learned something. I learned something about Hong Kong and Canada and. You learned a bit about Russia, and yeah, so we got some education in this. All right. Okay, See you everyone, later, folks. Signing off. <laughs>